Hello there, and welcome to First Chapter Fridays with Mrs. Leahy. Today I'm going to share with you the novel entitled Never Caught, the story of Anna Judge by Erica Armstrong Dunbar and Kathleen Van Cleve. This is the story of George and Martha Washington's courageous slave who dared to run away. Author's note, dear reader, I'm delighted that your eyes have met these words. You are about to encounter a story of bravery and heroism that will make you think differently about everything you have learned regarding American history. This is a book about a young woman who, in the face of great difficulty, did what no one imagined possible. You are about to meet Ona Judge, a young enslaved woman who was the human property of two of the most well-known people in the history of the United States. Anna was enslaved by George and Martha Washington. I use the word enslaved a lot throughout this book. It is a word that reminds us that millions of people were brought to America against their will from Africa and later the Caribbean. These people were enslaved. That is, they were forced to become slaves. It was an act that was placed upon them by others. When you look up the word slave in the dictionary, it says the following a person who is the legal property of another and is forced to obey them. To be a slave in the United States usually meant that you would spend your entire life in bondage. Enslaved men and women were not allowed to legally marry, but they did fall in love and pick their own husbands and wives. It was illegal to teach Southern slaves how to read or write, and for hundreds of years, millions of black people were sold away from their families, beaten, whipped, and sometimes killed. There's no way to ease into the topic of American slavery. Slavery was brutal. Slavery was immoral. Slavery was an unjust system that kept black people at the bottom of society's social ladder. While all of this can be uncomfortable to read about and discuss, we must do so. If we want to build a better present for the future, we must recognize and understand the problems of the past. Young readers are exactly the people who need to know this history. This book is for readers who are in the elementary and middle school, and it will prepare you for history in high school and beyond. I also wrote this book for teachers. Teachers are champions. It is my wish that more historians will write for young readers so that teachers can have a variety of books for their classroom. Honor's story tells us what it was like to be enslaved when this nation was first founded. Her life begins as a slave on the Washington's Mount Vernon estate in Virginia and ends with her living as a free woman in New Hampshire. Anna lived a long life and experienced many tragedies, but she also found love and joy in the midst of great despair. Anna was a survivor. It gives me great pride to introduce Anna Marie Judge to a world of younger readers. I hope that everyone who reads these pages will find strength in Anna's courage. Sincerely, Erica Armstrong Dunbar. After the author's note, there's about two and a half pages of a timeline, and it takes you directly through um, not only what was going on in Anna's life at that time, but what was going on in the country during that time. Chapter 1, America's Daughter. 
Honest story begins in Virginia around 1773, when the United States is not yet the United States, and slavery is considered acceptable by many of the white people who live in what compromises the first 13 colonies. Strangely enough, the American colonies and the American slaves were engaged in a similar quest for freedom. In 1773, the colonists in America, those people who lived in what would be the original 13 states of the U.S., decided they wanted to be free from the British government, making all their laws. The enslaved people of America, who had been brought over from Africa and the Caribbean as part of the slave trade, wanted to be free to live as they chose. These fights for freedom as a country and as a race of people would become as much a part of Anna's life as waking up in the morning and breathing. But first, Anna needs to be born. Anna's parents were Betty, a woman born in slavery in Virginia, and Andrew Judge, a white indentured servant from England whose labor had been bought by George Washington for $45. An indentured agreement meant that in return for Andrew's transport to America, as well as food, clothing, shelter, and a small cash allowance, Andrew's labor was owned for the next four years of his life by whomever purchased his agreement. Still, Andrew had small freedoms as an indentured servant that enslaved population did not share. Betty and Andrew were not married. It was illegal for a black person to marry a white person. In fact, it was illegal for slaves to be married at all. Betty had originally been owned by Daniel Park Custis, Martha Washington's first husband, who died after only seven years of marriage. By this point in America, slavery was as entrenched as the roots of the biggest, oldest tree. Like the Custises, Martha's family, the Dandridges, owned slaves, as did Martha's second husband's family, the Washingtons. When Daniel died, his property was split three ways between Martha and their children. This property included both land and the humans owned by the Custises, one of whom was Betsy, Betty, Anna's mother. This was the reason why Betty was always classified as a dower slave, meaning that she would always be the property of Martha Washington and her heirs, no matter whom Martha married after Daniel. After Martha married George Washington, she brought at least 84 slaves with her to Mount Vernon, about 100 miles away from the main Custis estate. Betty was chosen to go and was allowed to take her two-year-old son, Austin. This was a big deal, because slave families were often split up after the death of the original owner. It may have also indicated that Betty had already established herself as one of Martha's more valued slaves. Certainly, by 1773, she had become an important part of Martha Washington's team of seamstresses. Betty was the person whom many other seamstresses in the Washington household went to when they needed to learn how to hem a skirt or weave a certain fabric. She was also known as the person whom could take a piece of expensive material from London and dye it the exact color Martha wanted without ruining the garment. The creation of clothing was an important job for anyone during colonial times when fabric, not finished clothes, was what was available at a store and every household needed someone who could use a needle and thread to stitch together garments for everyone, black and white, to wear. Betty's expertise at sewing and spinning kept her out of the fields of George Washington's five working farms. Instead, she earned a place working in the spinning house. The spinning house was a building near the mansion where George and Martha lived. 
where the enslaved seamstresses did their work. Martha herself liked to sew, so sometimes Betty was a part of a larger sewing circle in the mansion, alongside her owner. Andrew Judge, Anna's father, was also an expert at sewing. Usually, George Washington did not prefer white indentured servants. He complained that they were unreliable and lacy, yet George seemed to like and trust Andrew. He was one of George Washington's preferred tailors, eventually creating the blue uniform George wore when he was named Commander-in-Chief of the American Forces in 1775. In 1773, however, George would have been surprised to learn that soon he would be leading the American military forces against the British. Although he was a well-known colonel and respected military man, George would have said his main occupation was farming. He was well aware of the political events that were stirring up the anger of the American colonists. He too felt strongly that Americans should not be ruled across an ocean by King George III of England. He knew that many colonists wanted to form a new country with their own form of democratic government. Yet, like many of his friends and acquaintances, George had protected British control of the American land. Like his father and grandfather, George was also a member of the colonial government of Virginia. Turning publicly against his ancestors and reigning monarch would be a massive and dangerous step. Neither George nor the country was quite ready to take such a step, but change was in the air, and it was Mother Nature herself who, by throwing a snowball, got the attention of not only George, but Betty too. In June 1773, the unimaginable happened. It snowed in Virginia. Farmers like George Washington needed to rely on familiar weather patterns, but it was anything but familiar for snow to fall this far south in June. Mount Vernon's crops were at risk, and the people on the plantation were confused. Many of the enslaved saw the late snow as an omen, bringing something bad upon the people of Mount Vernon. Other enslaved people believed that the snow meant something good was about to happen. Both turned out to be right. Eight days after the snow fell, Patsy, the daughter of Martha Washington and her first husband, became terribly ill. Only 17, Patsy had been plagued by seizures that had begun during her teenage years. There was no effective treatment for Patsy's condition. Instead, the doctors who cared for Patsy would treat her with something called bloodletting, drawing her blood out as a way to stop the seizures. But it never worked. It was shortly after 4 o'clock on June 19th when Patsy excused herself after dinner to get a letter from her bedroom. When she didn't come back, her soon-to-be sister-in-law, Eleanor Calvert, went to check on her. Patsy lay on the floor of her room in the middle of a violent seizure. Though Eleanor called for help immediately, there was very little anyone could do. Within two minutes, Patsy was dead. George Washington, Patsy's stepfather, was devastated. Martha Washington was almost destroyed. When she had been married to her first husband, Martha had borne four children, Daniel, Francis, Jackie, and Patsy. The oldest two children had died when they were toddlers. To lose another child was pushing Martha off an emotional cliff. In a letter written to his nephew, George Washington stated, I scarce need add that Patsy's death had almost reduced my poor wife to the lowest ebb of misery. Everyone at Mount Vernon was aware of Martha's pain, especially the enslaved women whom she had chosen to work near her in the mansion. Betty, Anna's mother, was one of these women. 
Only seven years younger than Martha, Betty had already watched Martha as she'd endured the deaths of her first husband and first two children. She understood how painful it was for Martha to lose another child, especially because by this time, Betty had had two other children besides Austin, and she knew how desperate she would have been if any of them had died. She may have stood near Martha's bedside, comforting her and in her terrible grief, while at the same time helping the household prepare for Patsy's funeral. It would not have been relevant to Martha that Betty was pregnant at this time. The fact that she and Andrew Judge were going to have a baby was not and could not be Betty's priority. We do not know what kind of relationship Andrew and Betty had. They may have fallen in love. They may have had the kind of relationship that is the opposite of love. The truth is that Andrew Judge could have hurt Betty and she would not have been able to do anything about it. His status as a white man would have protected him, just as it did other white male owners who commonly hurt the women they owned. Still, it is also possible that Betty entered into this relationship with the aims of her own besides romantic love. Perhaps she believed that having a relationship with Andrew could lead her to her own freedom and that of her children because she knew that in a few years, Andrew would become a free man. At that time, he could potentially offer to buy all of them from the Washingtons. We will never know Betty's feelings. All we do know is that Andrew Judge did eventually claim his freedom, but he did not take Betty and his child with him. If he loved Betty, it was not enough to keep him from leaving. Still, in 1773, Andrew was living at Mount Vernon, and sometime during or close to that year, after the strange snowfall and after Patsy's funeral, Betty gave birth to their daughter. They named her Ona Marie Judge. While there were a few records about the births and deaths of slaves, this girl child of mixed race would, as a young woman, walk that tightrope for freedom from African Americans long before her bold descendants in spirit, Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass, made their own escapes from slavery. Like her mother, Betty, Ona learned how to persevere in the face of extreme hardship. Like her father, Ona would eventually free herself no matter who she left behind. Finally, like America itself, Ona would risk everything so that she too could achieve those rights written in the Declaration of Independence, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This book, Never Caught, the story of Anna Judge by Erica Armstrong Dunbar and Kathleen Van Cleve is an awesome way to start trying out different genres. A lot of us stick with the fiction genre, and this is a nonfiction historical book that does have clips of primary source documents embedded in it. So if you haven't yet tried a nonfiction book, this one is a great, easy read that is full of an adventurous tale and a wonderful story.